Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a sometimes fortnightly, sometimes monthly podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. If you're the kind of card game player who really wants a podcast that gets into the nitty gritty of what different cards do, whether or not you should have them in your deck, and will they make you look cool playing them, this is probably the podcast for you. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... Peter, me, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very well indeed. Good. So I'm going to jump right in because I'm really excited about this episode. This episode, we're going to do another trait. We're going to focus on another trait. And I've been really looking forward to this one because I think it's such a weird trait. So I'm just going to jump right in. Today, this episode is going to be all about spells. The interesting thing about spells is if you're like me, when you started out playing Arkham Horror, you approached it from a sort of fairly practical point of view where you thought well I'll put a knife in my deck and a a flashlight in my deck and there's sort of you know fairly mundane items and then you found the spell cards which are all predominantly from one faction well almost entirely from one faction. Yeah I didn't think they're all from one faction aside from any story spells we've seen. Yeah or investigator specific spells but we know as well that those investigators are also tied to their faction so they're all purple cards And the purple cards seem to have this really strange allure of being, yeah, maybe slightly more complicated, but also just cool and interesting. Yeah, spells seem to do, they've got a wide variety of effects. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly, they do have a wide variety of effects. And unlike with our ally episode or with our weapons episode, where particularly with the weapons episode, if you think back to that, we were saying, does it give you more damage? Does it give you more combat yeah, boost to your combat for fighting, and that's really what you want your weapons to do. With spells, there's not as easy a categorization where you can say, does it give you more X or Y? Some of them do give you a boost to something, but as we're about to see, it's much more varied than that. So have you got much experience playing with the uh, Mystic Faction itself? Yeah, so yeah, I've played Agnes solo a fair amount. I'm in two different campaigns at the moment that, that have Jim, one of them being run by me. I'm really, yeah, I'm really fond of the Mystic Faction. I think it's a really interesting faction. How about you? I'm the same. I've played a lot of Agnes. Agnes was the investigator I was using the first time I beat the core campaign. Nice. And then also when I did a, a really good run through of the core campaign with a couple of friends, and we we, we cleared out scenario two, so we, we got the maximum XP you could get, got all the cultists. And that was when I was using Agnes. And ideally, you're finishing that scenario on sort of seven horror and having used her to the max as this. Well, of course, yeah, witch. yeah. Well, that's how you finish every scenario with with Agnes, surely. <laughs> yeah, that's the aim, isn't it? So the other interesting thing about spells is that although they're tied to one faction in the game, so they're all mystic cards at the moment, plenty of other investigators can actually use them. So all of the investigators in the Dunwich Legacy can can use spells, and then at least two yeah so daisy and agnes from the corset can also use spells so the ability to use magic is certainly not restricted in the arkham files setting yeah if you're looking just by faction color it looks like only 20 percent of our investigators can use spells but as you point out seven out of ten can can throw spells in and some of the spells that we'll look at have a really great utility as a you know a sort of just a useful trick up your sleeve as we'll see. So the first 
spell we're looking at is an asset. It costs three. It has a combat icon, and it's called Shriveling. It's a spell. It has four charges when you put it into play, and as an action, you can spend a charge, and it becomes a fight action. This attack uses willpower instead of combat and deals plus one damage. If any of the special tokens are revealed during this attack, take one horror, and it takes up that arcane slot. So this is what I meant straight away about spells giving you some kind of versatility. This is a, probably a hallmark of, of spells, that it allows you to use your willpower in place of a different statistic. Yeah, it, it's. I think shriveling... We, we talked on our weapons episode about the forty-five being a based standard for a weapon, that it's it's four, it gets four ammo and it has each attack does plus one damage and has plus one fight. So this is, it's cheaper, but it doesn't give you a bonus to your stat when you use it. Yes, and I suppose the other thing is it has that slight, slight risk of a downside, but I'm doing air quotes around downside that you have to take a horror if you get one of those particular tokens. Sure, the, the, the bonus is that if you're playing as Agnes and you use this and get, get a horror, then that deals an extra damage, so it suddenly becomes a three damage attack. Yeah, which is amazing, and that's what Agnes wants, is to be able to deal out huge amounts of damage. Um, there's no reliability that you can control getting that token, but with things like Grotesque Statue, Agnes actually gets even better at picking the tokens that she wants and passing the tests she wants. Yeah, so Shriveling... I don't have too much to say about it, actually, because I just think it's a really strong card. Yeah, it is. The, the, the problem with Shriveling is that... So, if you're playing as Roland and you're using the 45, Roland starts with Fight 4, and Zoe is the same, Fight 4. Yeah. Until you get a card which converts your willpower into your usable stat as, as a Mystic, you're a lot more helpless. So, Agnes has a Fight of 2, I believe. I should have got... Agnes's card out as well. Yeah, that's right. That's so right. Agnes can feel very vulnerable until she gets a shriveling out. And in fact, it's only got four charges as well. So, you know, it, it takes four rats or four cultists and suddenly she's helpless again and she needs to find another shriveling. Yeah, if you're in a position where you're trying to punch rats with Agnes, it can be... Yeah, even punching rats is exactly, tricky. <laughs> exactly, it's touch and go, isn't it? Because uh, the rats yeah. are... What yeah. rats? The rats are one? one They're combat, one, one, one fight, hit. yeah. So at two, you're only one above. And on standard, you really want to be two above to be reliably killing the rats. So the shriveling is great. And it's ways to preserve those charges are good. And ways to defend yourself before you get it are good as well. And I think actually the next card we're going to look at falls into that slot quite well. Yeah, why don't you read that card? So the next card is the Song of the Dead. Uh, It's a relatively similar setup to shriveling. So it's a two cost asset. And it's a spell, but also a song. It has five charges and has an action spend a charge fight. This attack uses willpower instead of combat. You gain plus one willpower for this attack. If a skull symbol is revealed during this attack, this attack deals plus two damage. And like Shriveling, this uses up an arcane slot. So I see this very much as a... It's so cheap. Two cost for this for a spell with five charges, I think is great. Yeah, wonderful. And it fills in the gaps when you're not wanting to use shriveling and it's an extra damage spell you can get to defend yourself before your shriveling shows up yeah it also helps if you're dealing with any of those odd health enemies where you 
maybe don't want to use two charges of shriveling to get rid of them. So you might want to hit one with the Song of the Dead and then second action shrivel them. Yeah, because that, that leaves you open to the possibility of getting a skull on your first check to deal three damage. Yeah, and then you've done it. You've cleared it out. It also leaves us open to this opportunity that if there are more ways of reliably drawing the token you want in future, Song of the Dead just gets more and more powerful. Well, a grotesque statue falls into that category, really, doesn't it? Especially if you're using, just just to pick some examples out of the air, if you're using, say, Jim Culver, and you also have your, your trumpet out, suddenly drawing those skulls becomes even more attractive. So you're, you know, you're healing, you're dealing extra damage. Yeah, and Jim has this ability that he can trade in an Elder Sign to become a skull, so he's slightly more, yeah, I, more reliable. Remember when that, that, that ability was, was spoiled? We all sat around scratching our heads saying, well, that, why would you ever want to do that? <laughs> yeah, the thematic niceness of it that Jim communes with the dead and the skull token is representative, at least to a certain degree, of the dead is great. So this idea that he's one of the people who can commune with the dead and that will make his songs more powerful and more deadly i love it i think it's really good so even with just these two cards shriveling and the song of the dead you get a sense that there's that spells can take over doing the role of weapons but there's also already a little bit of diversity in how they work shriveling is like you say almost like the 45 automatic and song of the dead is something slightly different more charges but less reliable damage Definitely a good sort of support weapon if you're going down the damage dealing spellcaster route. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and it's certainly worth picking up after you've got grotesque statue as well. I think. Yeah, I think so too. I've actually started adding a played extracurricular activity with uh, three friends the other day, and I was using an Agnes deck that had two fire axes in. Okay. And the fire axe turned out to be very very good indeed in that deck. That it almost filled the role of Song of the Dead. The spells, Agnes's spells are relatively cheap. You you could you could save up your shriveling charges, and you didn't need a huge amount of cash to spend on other stuff. And you had forbidden knowledge that was giving you money on occasion as well. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that little drip of of money when you needed it. Exactly. Yeah, you could even say use your if you had uh, one or two resources, you put that into a fire axe attack for an almost guaranteed hit. Then you use Forbidden Knowledge to take a horror and a resource and then deal another damage. Very nice. So it, that, that works really well and, and, and it definitely helped retain the charges on shriveling for things that were, were more difficult to kill. And that's going to be the challenge in the future, I think, is working out how a, a damage-dealing spellcaster, how that puzzle fits together. Where does Song of the Dead fit in, if at all? What do you do if you haven't drawn your shriveling? Are you using something like Fire Axe or, or another weapon? Jim Culver can also take Machete if you wanted to. Fitting together those different parts will be, I think, quite pleasurable in terms of the experience of deck building and play. What do you do, though, if you don't want to fight anymore and instead you want to evade an enemy well, and you're a spellcaster? Well, funny you should ask that, Frank. We've got a spell here that does just that, or several spells that do just that. So we have a spell called Blinding Light. It's a two-cost event. So straight away, this also reminds us that, that spells don't have to be assets. They're not, they're not restricted to a certain card type. This is an event. It has a willpower and an agility icon, some nice icons. And it says evade in bold. This evasion attempt uses willpower instead of agility. 
If you succeed, deal one damage to the enemy just evaded. If any of the special tokens are revealed during this evasion attempt, lose one action this turn. So straight away we can see the similarity with shriveling where you're letting your investigator use willpower instead of a different statistic. In this case it's agility, so hopefully your spellcaster has a high willpower and that helps you get out of a tight bind. And then the other thing we're seeing is that even though this is an evasion spell, it's actually also a damage spell, interestingly. Yeah, I, and I've certainly used it just to deal a bit of damage to an enemy. I don't know whether I've I've cooled on this this spell a bit. It's worth noting we've got there's an upgraded version of this as well, which reduces the cost by one, increases the damage dealt by one, and then also instead of just losing an action, you also take a horror, which, as we've discussed, is is almost a bonus in Agnes. So that could be a three damage, a fairly certain three damage for one cost, which is good. Yeah, that's very powerful. I don't know whether I've I've cooled on it a little bit in faction. Because I, I tend to prefer to be fighting stuff. I've actually tried Blinding Light quite a bit outside of Mystic as well. I've put that in my Zoe deck. Anyone with high willpower and low agility who's able to take it might at least consider it. Sure. The problem, of course, I have with it in Zoe is that ideally she wants to be using her machete. So evading something means that she's not engaged, which means she doesn't get the bonus damage. If you're, say there's a large enemy, for instance, uh, sorry, massive enemy, rather, or something... <laughs> not just large. Not just large, massive. Or if there's something someone else is, you know, trying to get away from for whatever reason, then, you know, Blinding Light, it's 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 quite it's quite a good slot there with Zoe's four willpower. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. It raises the broader point of what's the point of evasion. And I think some people really think it's a, a waste of time if you're ever evading anything when you could just be killing it. But I think in larger player counts, evasion becomes more powerful. You know, one evasion and then everyone can wail on an enemy that can't retaliate, or one evasion and then everyone can move on. That becomes more useful. I've definitely found when I play solo, if I'm spending time evading, I worry that I'm wasting precious actions, that I could be doing other things. And I've sometimes fallen into a bit of a pit where I'm having to evade two enemies each turn and then not able to get the clues of my location. But I mean, this isn't Frank's moaning corner for how bad he is at evasion. <laughs> the, the other thing about blinding light specifically is, weirdly, I find the two cost of the zero XP version a little bit prohibitive, which is strange because that's not that expensive for an event. But yeah, nonetheless, I find it a little a little bit high-costed. So I really like the XP version where it only goes down to costing one. That feels really like a real sweet spot. Yeah, yeah. I, I, cheap I can evasion that. that can deal good damage. So those are my thoughts about it. I like it though as well. I, I think I probably have gone through a similar arc to you that when I first started playing, it was an auto-include in an Agnes deck because it was a spell. Yeah. And then I moved away from it and wanted to try other things out. And now I've come back to seeing its utility a bit more. What about the lose an action? Do you ever has that ever punished you? Do you, do you I find mean, that I, to be problematic? I would tend to aim to use it at the end of my turn most of the time. I, I think which is which is also an interesting thing about some of these spells is that they encourage you to do things not in the conventional order. So you might assume that a, a turn that includes an evasion is evade and then do two other things. And if you want to avoid losing an action, you might do the other things and then evade. Maybe you're trying to kill something and you fail to kill it, so you evade it in your last action. We'll see in another card as well, one of the ways that you can work around it is delaying using it until towards the end of your turn. 
I mean, it's 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 one I put. I I still put in a mystic in my mystic decks, and um, because it's being able to evade something in an emergency, it's, it's pretty good. But it's not one that I'm usually desperate to try and draw into. Yeah. Okay, so we move on to a new, a newer evading spell, which is Bind Monster, which is a three cost event. So. It's also an evade, and this evade attempt uses willpower instead of agility. If you succeed and the enemy is non-elite, evade it and attach bind monster to it. And then it has a reaction. When attached enemy would ready, test willpower 3. If you succeed, attached enemy does not ready. If you fail, discard bind monster. And that's that's an, an optional trigger there. So you could decide that you just don't want to take the test and you want to let it ready. Sure. Or you can try and keep it exhausted over successive turns it, this is an, an interesting one because i it, i mean it's it's relatively expensive at three I, I must admit i haven't used this in a deck yet i haven't got to the point where i wanted to pay the two experience for it over other stuff but i can't help but think the three cost and the card slot will be better placed putting in something that could kill the enemy i don't know whether i've seen that many enemies that are non-elite which is a which eliminates quite a few nasty enemies you'd think that this would be useful on. I don't think I've seen that many. I'd, I'd want to use this on rather than, say, trying to shrivel it. Yeah, it it hints at a different type of spellcaster who's maybe a controlling spellcaster where you're going to lock down areas of the map and, yeah, not, not kill enemies for whatever reason and just hold on to them. Maybe shut down a hunting enemy that you don't want to deal with but you also don't want to spend the time killing. You just want to move on from it's a really interesting one. I, I agree with you. I think the other thing is it may be competing for that upgraded blinding light slot if that if you're running two evasion willpower-based cards, two evasion spells in your deck. And blinding light, 2 XP only costs one, and <laughs> fine monster, 2 XP costs three. And you just heard me complaining about thinking that the zero XP blinding light was too expensive. So this one blinding is light can evade, trickier. Yeah, bl- blinding light can evade an, an elite monster as well. So if I'm stuck with a, with a ghoul priest or, a, or or the experiment or whatever, I can still use Blinding Light. You can still use Bind Monster, it just wouldn't... Oh, it still evades it, of course. Attach Bind Monster yeah, to that, it. That, that, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. On elite enemies, every scenario in the core set has one elite enemy in it, and only one. Oh, is that right? Are the, are the cultists not elite? No, they're not elites. No, no, no. There's only, only the Master Hunter is elite. Right, okay, that's interesting, actually. And then in Carnival of Horrors, there are a whole bunch of elite enemies in that. I think five, Yuck. maybe four. And we've seen, I think there's one elite enemy in each of the first three Dumbwitch scenarios. Am I allowed to say that? Well, I'm well, no, not because of our spoiler policy. Well, well, I, I'll say that again. I think there's one elite enemy in each of the two scenarios in the Dumbwitch Legacy <laughs> box, as far as I recall. So, I mean, by monster, it's it's the, the other thing I think about that is maybe a a slight negative to it, and I do think it's a good card, is the fact that you're repeatedly testing. And so often avoiding taking tests is what you want to do as any investigator. And this idea that you're committing to taking a will test in theory for two, three, four turns, not a particularly hard will test, but also will of three is is also not insignificant. Just that makes it a little uncertain for me. You're taking the test to evade and then at the end of the turn, you're taking a second willpower test. And then the following turn, you're taking another willpower test. So you might only get, say, 
two turns yeah, we, worth where the enemy I, I guess locked down. That's it. That we haven't been in a situation where, say, you've got one location, lots of people need to move through multiple times, where you're not necessarily going to be there. So if you could move in, bind the monster, move on, and then other players can do the same. Yeah. That's the kind of situation bind monster is useful. If you're coming back through that location several times, for whatever reason, then that becomes more useful. Yeah, or picture a situation where you're in a group of four investigators and for whatever reason the the fighters have gone off one way and you're with a more clue-gathering-oriented investigator and there's a nasty monster that turns up in your location like something like a Wizard of Yogg-Sothoth or a, a conglomeration of spheres. They're not that nasty, but they're a bit fiddly. You might want to just bind them and keep them exhausted so that the two of you can crack on and hoover yeah, sure. up the clues in your location before you move on. And in that instance, it might be more useful than than three shriveling charges to try and kill off a conglomeration of spheres. Instead, it's just three resources and one test. To speaking of conglomeration then... of spheres, uh, spheres is is there a what I would love, Frank, yeah. is a way to be able to attack it with a melee weapon without losing my melee weapon. Um, have you got any spells that can help me with this? Yeah. Because I, yeah, didn't you ring me when you first met it and you said, Frank, I've got a really serious problem. I need to attack a conglomeration of spheres and all I have is a knife. Yes. So, Peter, I'm so glad you oh, asked. Hit me, hit me. Have I got a spell for you? It is a one cost event. It costs only one XP, which is great. It's got two juicy icons, willpower and combat, and it is called Mind Wipe. It's fast which is great, and it says play after a phase begins. So you can play it on any phase. You don't have to play it on the investigator phase. Choose a non-elite enemy at your location. Treat the chosen enemy's printed text box as if it were blank, oh, well, except for traits, sounds, until sounds the great. end of the phase. Talk to me about Mind Wipe. Well, there's one tiny error with this. The, the, the card is called Mind Wipe, but the art shows a faceless <laughs> face man or woman. So surely the card should be called Face Wipe. But apart from that, I can't see any problems with this card. We're, I mean, we're, you may be here, dear listener, that we're smiling as we talk about this. This card has been slightly panned by a lot of people. And I think it's been panned because all of the scenarios that it might work well in. That's the exact problem, isn't it? It never it's seems to come up. It's so, so situational as to be. It becomes very hard to justify including it in your deck. So one of the immediate one of the first places people go to with this card is that it turns off Hunter and it turns off Retaliate. I think the latter is more important than the former. If you're turning off Hunter on an enemy, you're already at their location, so they're not going to hunt anyway. But turning off Retaliate so that you and all of your teammates can attack an enemy without fear of reprisal is quite good. The other thing that it does potentially is turn off any of those sort of nasty specific effects that enemies might have I'm thinking here of things like goat spawn. When the goat spawn yeah. dies, each enemy at his location takes a horror. So if you've mind wiped the goat spawn, it dies peacefully rather than making they, a horrible healing scream. Um, which are they, they not victory point cards? Because this this stops you getting victory points as well, doesn't it? They fortunately aren't victory point cards. It's the Dark Young is in the Shub Nagura set, I believe. So you raise an interesting point there. That while that might be useful, the other thing it does is 
wipe off victory points. So if you kill a victory pointed enemy that's been mind wiped, it no longer goes into the victory display. It just goes into the encounter pile discard. Yeah, sorry, I just looked. It's the, the, the Relentless Dark Young is the one in that set, which is victory points. And that is pretty nasty. Relentless Dark Young. Yeah, no, no, it's one victory point, yeah. but it's pretty It's pretty Isn't chunky. It two? So it's four fighting, five health. It heals two damage every turn, yeah. So actually, that's not a and terrible it heals target mind wipe, but yeah, as you say, yeah, it's, brutal. it's worth a victory point. So you you want to defeat it, first of all, to get it out of the encounter deck, but also to give yourself some experience points. All of that being said, the, the thing I think about mind wipe that maybe people forget about is that you can play it in other phases. So I like the idea of playing mind wipe in the enemy phase and wiping an effect like the Silver Twilight Acolytes effect, which says when the Silver Twilight attacks, place one doom on the agenda. So turning off an effect like that is quite useful. Obviously, you'd only want to spend an experience point to put Mind Wipe in your deck if you knew that there was going to be a Silver Twilight Acolyte around. But there's a potential edge case usage there. I mean, I, 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 don't, I, don't, think it's, I don't think it's terrible. I think it, 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 does, it fills the niche very well, I would say. But it's just that niche is so ridiculously specific. You're never going to put it in a deck. <laughs> that's that's my one sentence review of Mindwipe. Good, yeah. It it falls into this controlling spellcaster archetype I have floating around in my head, who maybe isn't going full damage, but is having a handful of different tricks and tools for dealing with odd situations. And they're an <laughs> annoying person to play with because they're sitting there yeah. refusing to play any cards until the right situations can arise. And you're just going... If only you'd just taken Shriveling and Song of the Dead, we could have dealt with this person. Okay, we've got Rite of Seeking, which is a four-cost asset. That's a spell. This has three charges, and it has an intellect pip. You can spend an action and spend one charge. Investigate. Investigate using willpower instead of intellect. If you disco- If you succeed, discover one additional clue at your location. If a special symbol is revealed during this test... After this test resolves, lose all remaining actions and immediately end your turn. So I guess th- this completes the cycle of basic actions, which mystics can do with spells instead of the native stat. Yeah. So they can fight, they can evade, they can investigate. They need only have a good willpower stat and they're set up. And willpower is one of the easier stats to boost, actually, with both... Holy Rosary and your upgraded Pete Sylvester. Yeah, chucking a guts, chucking a fearless. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it's quite—it's not too difficult to boost your willpower. Yeah, well, compare it if you want a, a permanent intellect boost, you're paying four for Doctor Milan, and if you want permanent combat boost, you're paying four for a beat cop, or one recurringly for hired muscle. But here, yeah, Holy Rosary is very cheap for what it does, as is Pete. I, I like Right of Seeking. I think the four cost for only three charges is pretty hard going. You have to know that you're going to get the most use out of it. And it also collects two clues at a time, which, as we've talked about before, if you're playing solo, there aren't always that many locations that are two clue heavy, particularly in something like Midnight Masks. There are a bunch of locations with one clue when you're by yourself. So this this becomes very expensive for not that powerful an effect. There are other ways you could try and grub those clues up more cheaply. So yeah, the most you're going to get is it is six clues off this, isn't it? Yeah. And 
given that you're paying four to do that, you want to get those. You want to be able to get six. You don't want to pay four to only get three clues. You want to make the most of of it. In higher play counts, obviously there are more locations that will allow you to do that, which is great. And I suppose the other risk, the other reason that this doesn't turn all spellcasters into replacement seekers, is that that risk of a special symbol ending your turn is pretty. That's probably the most prohibitive negative effect that comes up from the special symbols. That's worse than losing an action for blinding light or taking a horror for shriveling. Wouldn't you say? We have seen an upgraded version of yeah. this, haven't we? In one of the later yeah, packs. Yeah. Which so what what effects does that have? It's it's four it's, experience? Yeah, so whopping four experience. It costs one more, so it costs five to play, and it has two intellect icons rather than one, which is that's can be really nice, particularly if you have those sort of parlay situations where you need intellect icons. Good to chuck. It still has the same number of charges, three, when you put it into play, and it has the same ability that you spend a charge and you investigate and you get to use willpower instead of intellect, but you get plus two willpower for the test. And if you're successful, you get two additional clues, not one. So you're getting three clues per test. And it has the same drawback that if any of the special symbols are revealed, you lose all remaining actions and immediately end your turn. That's pretty chunky. So I'm gaining up to nine clues with the upgraded right. And you're testing at plus two to your willpower each time. So Jim is testing natively at six. Agnes is testing natively at seven, which is really pretty powerful for a test. You're not having to commit cards to that, probably, to be up above. Now, I, I must admit, I tend to not put this in my Mystic decks because I'm usually playing with a dedicated seeker or at least someone else who's able to semi-reliably investigate. I tend to prefer using Drawn to the Flame. I uh, hear the name of a rather cool podcast. Yeah, very terribly uh, I tend to, I I tend to prefer that as incidental clue support, really, uh, as it's free and it's two clues, and it's not an investigate action. So it can pull clues off places like the Orn Library, or behind a locked door, or from a shrouded, uh, from a obscuring fog location. Yeah. So I prefer having that extra utility there, rather than paying the four for a, a more steady drip of clues, for more clues in total. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we're in the early stages of the life of this game and we've not yet seen a dedicated mystic clue gatherer or if not mystic spell using clue gatherer there might be a a way of doing that where you're using flashlight for small locations and you're using right of seeking for big locations and you're in a group and you're actually not taking a lot of the other spells we've talked about or maybe only taking the evasion ones and your role is really dedicated to clue gathering but we might get there where we I find... guess I guess the issue I have is that there's yeah, the, the issue I have is that there's no trait to differentiate between Right of Seeking and Shriveling. So anyone who can take Right of Seeking can also take Shriveling, unless they they come up with some other clever way of differentiating between the two, which I, I can't see how they'll they'll do simply. And I think it might just be about plenitude. When we get to the point where there are enough spells that make you a really good investigator and enough spells that make you a really good fighter, you'll reach the point where sure, yeah, you start yeah, you... to decide... I'm going to go down an investigating mystic into your team. You'd say you, you've got a, a rogue or a guardian playing with you. You say, well, you've got a lot of damage cards, so you be the damage dealer. 
and I'll I'll be the investigator in this one. Pull your weight that way. I chuck in a shriveling just to offer some some support with combat if if it comes to it, rather than it being one of my main damage dealing tools. Yeah, and going back to what you said, where you can also run drawn to the flame. If you're playing as Agnes, you can also run look what I found. So you actually have lots of different options for clue gathering that all work in slightly different ways. And a mistake you can make building an Agnes deck is put all of them in, put a flashlight in as well. And that takes up eight cards of your deck where you could maybe run four of those cards and then put more damage-related cards, Fire Axe, Shriveling, whatever else it is, in your deck. You know, If you're running Agnes and you're wanting to fight, you actually don't want to pile in all of these clue-gathering effects as well. Cool. So the other nice thing about Rites of Seeking is it gives us a hint of what a higher level spell might be like. So interestingly, it's not just a discount. It's actually getting more expensive, but the, the effect is getting more potent, which we also saw in Blinding Light. It got cheaper, but it gave out more damage, which is interesting. Okay, so we move on to three sort of more utility spells. Yeah. These might fit into a kind of controlling spellcaster role, but they're also supportive spells as well, I think. So the first one we have is Ward of Protection. It's an event. It costs one. It has a lovely wild icon. It's spell and spirit traded, and it's fast. Play when you draw a non-weakness treachery card. Cancel that card's revelation effect, then take a horror. I love, by the way, the art on this. I mean, I love all of the spell card art, but I particularly love this art because I have no real clue what's happening beyond there being a kind of tentacly weirdness going on. I think this card is almost an auto-include if you can include it because it has so much versatility. It can turn off things like an obscuring fog that has a revelation effect to be attached to your location, but it can also turn off things like Beyond the Veil or some of those other really nasty treacheries in the Dunwich set that can really punish you if you're not careful. Yeah, I I think one of my common targets for it is Ancient Evils. Yeah. Which which often you really don't want firing. So it's really nice to just, you know, we'll get an extra turn. Cost me a horror, which, you know, isn't necessarily bad if you're playing this in Agnes. Yeah, kills the rats that's just engaged your buddy because they're just taking a horror. Jim also has ways of getting rid of horror, namely through his trumpet. So he also doesn't really mind taking the horror. And Daisy, who can also run this, has a sanity of nine. So she's also happy to take a bit of horror to cancel treacheries. I'm playing Daisy in a two-player campaign at the moment where I'm the supportive clue-gathering investigator and I run two wards of protection because it's so useful for getting rid of some of the nasty treacheries that Daisy's not very good at dealing with. And it's a lovely inclusion. I like it very much. Moving on. So next we've got... A divisive spell, I would say. So this is a one-cost asset with an intellect pip. It's scrying. This is a spell that has three charges. I exhaust scrying and spend a charge. Look at the top three cards of any investigator's deck or the encounter deck. Return them to the top of that deck in any order. I've gone back and forward on this card several times. Yeah, me too, me too. (laughs) Uh, I'm currently, I don't know, I think I'm currently down on it a little, but... In the near future, I may very well be loving it again. It, it's it's a it's a classic card where it's it's easy to see the times when it saves your bacon. You see three horrendous treacheries coming up on the encounter deck, and you're able to to give them to the right investigator, 
yeah for them to deal with uh, and that can mean the different it can pretty much mean the difference between succeeding and failing yeah because a bad treachery and, and a bad token pull on the wrong treachery can just wipe certain investigators out. And we've heard people complain before, right, of uh, Skids or Roland drawing uh, rotting remains and drawing the auto-fail. You know, that's half yeah. or more than half of their sanity gone just in one hit. But it's harder to remember those times where you scried and you saw nothing useful or you put them back in the same order. Yeah, yeah. Or even that you scry and then the encounter deck get shuffled yeah and remembering that those shuffles are coming up because you're going to advance the actor agenda that can be really irritating if you spend an action scrying and then for whatever reason an extra doom is placed or something happens or you've forgotten a doom that's on a character in play and the agenda advances and you shuffle and you just think well i just wasted an action i think the life of this card was quite interesting People saw it and went, well, why would you want to scry someone else's deck for them? They're just going to draw that card anyway. And then there was that penny-dropping moment of you wouldn't scry another investigator's deck. It's all about encounter deck manipulation. And people were talking about how good it was solo, which I think is a very strong card solo, that if you've got a moment to do a bit of setting up, you can then control the next three turns worth of cards and know what you're going to need to deal with, position yourself in the right way. If you're a fairly versatile spellcaster, it also makes the decision, do I get out a weapon now or a spell that does damage or do I prepare myself to investigate or whatever else it is? So it had all of that potency. And then people started trying it in larger play accounts and felt that it lost some of that potency. I guess uh, one of the things worth mentioning from my point of view on scrying that the reasons where i've used it most recently is to prepare for playing either drawn to the flame yeah which i hear is the name of quite a cool podcast so i've heard too or delve too deep both of which involve drawing cards from the encounter deck so you, you can minimize or try and minimize your risk from playing both those cards if you're going to screw over all of your playing buddies by playing delve too deep you can at least... You might as well screw them over as hard as possible. Yeah, but yeah, you exactly. may as well at least you know, be courteous enough to make sure they get the worst possible card by scrying the encounter deck first. The other, the other thing about scrying is that it, just as a side point, it competes a little bit with a card like Old Book of Law for investigator deck draw, and Old Book of Law gives you the draw as well as letting you look at the top three rather than just ordering the deck. And I think cards that give you a draw effect are so much stronger than cards that just let you look. So Daisy is probably always going to want to take Old Book of Law over Scrying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, I think it's it still feels nice for someone newer to the game. Yeah. As well. It, it gives you a, a, a chance to prepare for the things that could just end your game, which I think is something that newer players or players who are playing through campaigns for the first time something that that fits well in their decks yeah yeah i think there is definitely i've mentioned it repeatedly now a controlling spell casting style that we've not yet seen all the parts for and scrying could fit into that where you're really locking down the encounter deck to such a great degree that nothing surprises you and you're ready for anything that comes and you're controlling where the monsters end up, you're controlling what tests you take and making sure you pass them and things like that. You know, may maybe a sort of gym support healing role where you've got spare actions and you're doing things like getting rid of people's treacheries for them and 
scrying to make sure they don't come up against nasty things and yeah binding monsters all of that kind of thing i look forward to yeah. playing that role it strikes me as a fun fun thing to do okay we've got another another asset spell here yeah and this fits slightly into that that support role that i've just described yeah so this is a oh hang on no it's you it's you sorry so this is a two cost asset called clarity of mind it has a willpower icon it's a spell it has three charges and as an action you can spend a charge heal one horror from an investigator at your location and it has flavor text the only flavor text on spells so far from the unreal lead me to the real from the darkness lead me to the light from the dead lead me to the immortal so i i I've used this a couple of times actually. My main criticism is that it's it's just too slow. It's like it's like first aid, isn't it? Yeah. It's the same cost, the same number of uses. Yeah, it, it uses up an arcane slot though, which which is often better used for something else. Yeah, I I tend to think there's already we've got better ways of of healing horror in cards like Pete Sylvester and and Jim's Trumpet and Liquid Courage. Liquid courage is a fantastic way of healing horror. Yeah, yeah, especially if you're if you're if you're a mystic who tend to have high willpower anyway, they can they can hold their drink. Yeah, the heavy drinking investigators are all the ones who are really into spells, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, so so at the moment, I I don't necessarily see myself running this too much. Yeah, you raise interesting points. Of course, first aid. The other advantage first aid has is it also heals damage. So you've got that option, which this doesn't give you. I have used it profitably in a supportive role where I just wanted to take as much healing as I could in gym. So I might put it down and, and heal horror off someone else who's who's low on horror, particularly if I haven't seen my trumpet. And then also it's it's worth taking if you're the sort of investigator who can't take first aid or liquid courage. So in that daisy deck that I've just alluded to earlier, she's taking clarity of mind, not really to heal her, but to heal her her buddies if if it reaches the point of a scenario where she doesn't need to be grabbing clues and she's old book of lord everyone as much as she can or encyclopedia them she sometimes has spare actions to do other things particularly if she's not spending actions to move because she's pathfinding everywhere so at that point this is a nice card to have you pay two which is peanuts for daisy and you can be topping up everyone's horror i've been playing with an agnes player so it's handy for Agnes to be healed by someone else. It just it just keeps her sanity high enough for her to keep dealing damage. I I tend to think that if we had if if we had Frank uh, an investigator a mystic investigator who was the equivalent of Daisy for spells, so they could use a spell without spending an action. Yes, like Daisy can with tomes. Just hypothetically, I, I think and these two spells especially would fit very well in that investigator. So yeah, you could have a sort of free action that you had to use on spells. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm suggesting. Okay. But I, I think it would these spells would both be nice things to have if you weren't slowing yourself down to use them. So if that invest this hypothetical investigator could take advantage of turns where they're not say shriveling or you know playing blinding light or whatever or using right of seeking playing and using these spells it's better than not using her ability for a turn for their ability for a turn yeah you see what i mean i see what you mean i wonder if i'll ever get there who knows it's not worth worrying too much about at the moment okay we've got one last spell 
So this is a two-cost event. It's called Dark Memory, and it's a spell. So when I play this, I place one Doom on the current agenda. This effect can cause the current agenda to advance, and then it has a forced... If Dark Memory is in your hand at the end of your turn, reveal it and take two horror. And this also has flavor text, which is, no, not again. <laughs> not again. So this, this spell is, not again. This spell is awful. I don't know why Who I want, want to, to include this, this. Yeah. It's basically ancient evils and also a sort of flubbed rotting remains test rolled into one. Why would you want that? It's awful. So th- this is Agnes's weakness, which is appropriately enough a spell. Which means that it does fire her heirloom. Yeah, yeah. She gets to draw a card if, if she has the heirloom out and she plays this. But it also means that if you find it with Arcane Initiate and you don't find anything else, you have to draw it. Which is nasty. So this card also catches out newer players, I think, because it doesn't have a revelation effect. So when you draw it, it's a That's weakness. Right, yes. And you're, you're left going, but how do, I, how do I get rid of this? What, what, how does this work? And you actually have to take an action to play an event, spending two resources to put one doom on the current agenda to get rid oh, of it. It's just such a, yeah, it's such a kick in the dick. Like, I I, I hate doing it every time I, I draw it. Because it, it, it takes up your time, it loses the whole team a turn, yeah, and it costs two. And it's not even like, so so it's, it's not even a... a just a doom it's a doom which causes the agenda to advance so you always lose yeah that you turn. can't wait for the witching hour and drop it down exactly I, I find quite often i end up just keeping it in my hand especially if i've got say pete sylvester 2 out so he just soaks up one of the horror and i use the other horror just to stick on enemies uh, to, to trigger actress's ability and stick on enemies about location but then that does put you on a bit of a countdown to the end yeah. of the game one of my most fun play experiences playing agnes solo in the core set and I drew this maybe turn three or four in Midnight Masks. And you're so under time pressure in that scenario that I just decided, F it, I'm keeping hold of this. And let's just go. I'm just going to go as quickly as I can. I'm going to use all the horror I'm getting from this to damage cultists as soon as I can. And I probably survived another five or six turns. I did have Pizza Wester out as well, so I was doing a similar thing. But at that point, it you just decide that it's this damage card in your hand that's your you've sort of you're definitely going to do one damage every turn without you even using yeah, tripling yeah. or whatever worth noting that it's the the forced effect triggers at the end of your turn which is at the end of the investigator phase so if you draw it in upkeep you don't have to reveal it and you don't have to take the two horror yeah which some people get wrong your turn is at the end of investigator phase and the end of the round is at the end of upkeep which is a small point but some people miss it you mentioned the heirloom. I think one of the things that is interesting is that there's a bit of synergy between Agnes's signature asset and her signature weakness, which we don't always see with other investigators. And I think it's quite nice. It's all spell related that her weakness can be used to, her sorry, her asset can be used to alleviate some of the negative effects of her weakness, which is quite nice. So that, that's all the spells. That is all the spells. They're a really interesting mix, I think. I think I said most of the things I feel about them at the start of the episode. They provide such an interesting range of what an investigator can and can't do. And the mistake I think a new player can make is just putting all the spells into their deck and hoping that that will work. And as we've said, as we've gone through them, 
actually being a little bit selective in the route you want to go down as an investigator can really reap great rewards if you're just a little bit careful in your selection. They do mean the, the mystic is a faction that can turn itself to many different tasks, but it, at the same time is reliant on getting the cards to help them with whatever that task is. Yeah, you mentioned Arcane Initiate, and we obviously talked about Arcane Initiate in the ally episode, but that's a cheap ally that pulls these cards into your hand. And if you can get the Arcane Initiate up and running, you can alleviate that risk of actually not having enough spells to do what you want to do. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you want to find out more, why would I say that? If you want to get in touch with us, you can find me. I'm on Twitter. I'm FB, that's E-P-H underscore B-E-E. I'm on Discord as Zooey Glass. I'm on ArkhamDB as Zozo. I'm on the FFG forums as Zooey Glass. Or you can talk to Peter. I'm everywhere as Unitled. So you need to work on your on your branding, Frank. Yeah, no, my branding is it's always going to be fractured and strange. You know, it's always going to be a mystery. So I'm I'm united everywhere. I've got my uh, Super Meat Boy avatar, so you'll recognise me. And yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm on the Reddit. I'm on Discord. Yeah, you can also say hello. Email us. Our email address is drawn to the flame podcast at gmail dot com. If you want to send us any thoughts or things like that, I check that account occasionally. We're on Twitter and Facebook as Drawn to the Flame or Drawn to the Flame podcast. Yeah, one of those two. Yeah, come say hello. If you want to like a post or leave a comment, we welcome it. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Okay, so since the podcast went out, Fantasy Flight Games have been inconsiderate enough to release... Uh, Essex County Express, which has two more spells in it. Uh, as Frank keeps on sneaking off to do extra bits of podcasts, I thought I'd have a go as well. And I'll have a look at the two new cards. So first up, we've got an upgrade to an existing spell, and that is Shriveling Level 3. So this is broadly the same as original Shriveling. The only difference is it's got an extra pip. It's got a willpower pip, as well as a combat pip. And then when you use it, it gives you plus two willpower. So uh, I'll just read it through. Spend one charge, fight. This attack uses willpower instead of fight. You gain plus two willpower on deal, plus one damage for this attack. If a special token is revealed during this attack, take one horror. It's three experience just to give you plus two willpower, which on the face of it doesn't seem like it's going to make it into my Agnes deck as, a, as an auto-buy. Uh, I think possibly Jim likes this more. Uh, Jim goes up to six, which is enough to have a good crack at, say, four health monsters with it. I think uh, there's other stuff Agnes wants to spend that two experience on before she gets this. The extra pip is nice, of course. I'll also note what's a shame is that it's level three, which puts it outside of Daisy's reach. I know some people like doing a, 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 a spell-slinging Daisy deck, but one of the problems is she only has a base three willpower. So needing an extra... So so this meaning she can then attack with five shriveling would have been great, but unfortunately it's not to be. So yeah, I, I think most of the stuff we said about the original shriveling just applies to this one as well, so there's not a huge much, a huge amount extra that I really want to add. The other one, far more interesting in my opinion, is Hypnotic Gaze. So this is an event, 
and it's arcane and it's a spell. So it has cost three and has a combat and an agility pip. It is fast and it has play when an enemy attacks an investigator at your location. Cancel that attack. Then reveal a random token from the chaos bag. It's a special token. Deal the attacking enemy's damage to itself. Well, I, I think this is brilliant. It's a dodge, effectively. In fact, it's probably better than a dodge. Well, it is better than a dodge because it's, it potentially deals some damage to the enemy that is attacking you as well. Although it does cost three. So I really like... I, I've had dodge in Rex before, uh, who's generally quite rich. So paying three for a better dodge, I really like that. In faction as well, maybe Agnes doesn't take it as much because she just likes killing things. But Jim, possibly? Jim might like to be able to, to, to cancel an attack. Of course, it allows either of the mystics to just tank for a while. If you put two hypnotic gazes in, they can just stand toe-to-toe with the big enemy, like the experiment or Eumoloth, and with the potential, especially if they've got grotesque statue by that stage, of dealing a good chunk of damage back to it. So yeah, I think this is really, really good. I think this could be a staple of out-of-faction splashes and in-faction uh, in Mystic for some time to come, I think. Yeah, really, really happy with this. Anyway, uh, that's all from me. Uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks next week for the next podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye. is one of the first cards that really stood out to me as being a, a good card and that's capital G capital F capital F uh, and that's capital F so hang on can I do that again <laughs>